0: as usual is Lachlan and Ruben. Hey! Uh, For those listening uh, who do not have the displeasure of seeing my head, uh, I'm wearing my Oktoberfest hat today because it's the last day of October and we were in COVID lockdown during Oktoberfest which is one of my favorite things of the year. So I have a nice big uh, stein of ale and my red Oktoberfest hat on and I'm going to enjoy that. What are you drinking Lachlan?
1: Mate, uh, I've got a, uh, a bit of uh, Captain Morgan's in uh, ginger beer. So I'm doing? Oh, lovely. And Reuben?
2: Uh, I'm doing a Furfy again.
0: That's actually what I'm drinking.
1: Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, I had I Furfy in you? the fridge. We could, have, we could have had the trifecta here.
0: <laughs> well, you could have just said that's what you were drinking and told a Furfy.
2: Ah, <laughs> a nice one. Hey, I bought it in cans this time though because it was the same price, and tinnies are three seventy-five mil, and the bottles are uh, three thirty.
1: Does it taste the same? in you know, can is what it does in a bottle, though. Is what I ask you.
2: I don't know. I don't feel like it does, but I've always thought that that's got to be psychological. Because why would it taste any different?
1: But you know what, it, it does though, because it's like uh, you know, if you had uh, Coke, remember old Coke in a bottle. It tastes yeah. so much different than a uh, out of a can. Don't know, the, only thing,
2: the only way I can explain it maybe is that smell is a component of taste. So maybe you can like smell the aluminium or something and it changes the flavour.
1: It could be, I reckon. You might be onto something there. I think you're right. Yeah.
0: And I'll also add to the argument that when you're at a pub, a VB out of the tap into a nice cold glass is quite drinkable but a VB out of a tin is garbage. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Most beers taste better on tap though. I don't know why. It's true. Speaking of which, I had my first tap beer in months last week Ooh. which I uh, sent you a little snippet of just to rub it in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> went back to the office for the first time and went out with some people for a, uh, for a beer at lunch and it was beautiful
0: yeah I think you have to yeah well I got to enjoy some Korean barbecue um, which was delicious and uh, that was after watching a musical um, which I'll probably talk about in the uh, pub for lots of us if we have time uh, called uh, (laughs) come from away and I was concerned it would be a sermon from the left but uh,
1: I'll give you the spoiler alert at the end of the show Ooh, I'm, uh, I'm <laughs> intrigued. You've given no foreshadowing as to your review of it. So I, am uh, <laughs> waiting with bated breath.
0: Well, I'll <laughs> review it at the end of the, uh, end of the show. Uh, so let's, let's kick off. Let's uh, quickly review what happened last week. Um, I think you summarized that quite well before we jumped on Lachlan. Do you, do you want to quickly just give that a quick overview?
1: Yeah, sure, mate. Um, nice. so really like we, we finished up last week, um, and uh, talking about philosophy, shockingly, with uh, Socrates, who's uh, making the case that the pure philosophy is a benefit to the state, um, but that most of the philosophers that they, everyone is sort of seeing are these sort of pretenders who uh, are being deemed basically either useless or uh, strange monsters was kind of the way that they were putting it. Um, and I guess like the last thing they really sort of spoke about was the fact that... Um, Glaucon's asking, you know, is there a state that exists right now that, um, could utilize philosophy, um, to better run that state? And, uh, they basically sort of said, no, there's no current state that would, you know, we could sort of step into this. So they ask again, you know, so is this the case where, um, this ideal state that we're coming up with, is that the state where philosophy can, uh, can rule and, and make a difference and, uh, Socrates sort of gets to the point of saying, "Well, it's uh, the definition is not quite complete, so we, we need to uh, uh, sort of ask a difficult question in order to to make that clear." And so that's kind of where we where we kick off now, because that uh, that question is uh, how the study philosophy will be made so ordered so that will not ruin the state. And uh, our friend Socrates says he's going to argue this with zeal, is the way he put it. Yes. Uh, He did.
0: Well, I think that's a good summary. Um, Okay, so I'm just reaching for my outline for today because it's a little bit... I think from
1: here, um, they started off um, sort of uh, talking about uh, the education of children as a starting point because they're sort of saying that that, philosophy is not really um, as it sort of stands now. It's something that people do in their spare time between learning other crafts and uh, and skills and it's not really given i think uh, in socrates kind of viewpoint the center stage that perhaps it should in someone's education um so uh, i guess he's sort of saying it's not really pursued with with particular care and it's viewed as kind of a bit of a hobby and even those people with the right kind of attitude uh, to be- become a philosopher um it's not pursued like another business or something like that mm. and um He's saying that by the time they get, uh, too old, the spark of philosophy and the beauty of it is lost on those old people who, uh, haven't grown up with its, uh, with its touch. So he's basically sort of saying that we should be teaching it like gymnastics for the soul, which, uh, um, I suppose fits in with some of the discussion he's been having about like the, um, the building of our guardians and all that kind of thing. And this sort of balance that they're sort of seeking. Yeah. Um, and uh, he just kind of wants to start off with those simple concepts with the kids and then they can sort of gradually step them into more advanced topics as they, uh, as they get older. And uh, I think the, the, the real sort of like beauty bit that he's sort of like trying to wrap that up with is, is as you get, you know, older late in life and you can no longer do any physical labor that you can step in to become a, uh, a philosopher then at that point in time of your life and be able to transition to that. Because you've studied it all your life, you, you should still have that spark whereas not in the current model, I guess is what he's talking about.
0: Yeah. yeah that's a really good really good explanation of that part. Are oh, you muted, Ruben? Yeah. There you go. Um
2: I I guess roughly what they say. I'm not sure um whether it comes up later or not. Um, my memory is a little bit sketchy this chapter because it gets into metaphysics later and I was trying to get my head around it before we jumped on. So I'm fried, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's kind of ties into later where, you know, where he's saying that, uh, you know, when you want, w- when you're choosing these rulers, you want them to tick all these boxes. So you want them to be courageous and all that sort of gear. Um, so my reading on that is basically, well, we want them to work on their, their bodies and their physique when they're younger. Um, and then not take on the full philosophic training until they're older. The idea being that, I guess, almost like they'll have a bit of life experience. They'll have mm-hmm. then actually had the time to go through all those elaborate tests that they referred to a couple of chapters back before they um, s- sort of full on take that uh, philosophic route.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but he's, he's also trying to just sort of like pad the way to make sure that it's in their minds as part of whatever else they're doing. But without, yeah, like you're saying, maybe... Are, overloading them. Yeah, but but having enough there so that when they are ready to sort of step into that role, that it's still of uh, sort of interest and relevant and all that sort of thing.
2: I thought it was pretty reasonable what he was explaining, but then they go on to uh, say... That Adam Adamantus says, that, oh, that's a pretty bold statement, Socrates. I don't entirely know why he thought it was bold, but... Um, maybe
0: that's a uh, thing. Uh, it could uh, be. Uh, our translation says, how truly in earnest you are Socrates.
1: Yeah, no, he's sort of saying that uh, he's like painted a beautiful picture. Um, and I, I think maybe that was a little, a little tongue in cheek in that it's just looks so too ideal. perfect. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's just such a, a high, lofty ideal there.
2: Actually, that makes uh, sense yeah. of it. Because then he goes, but, but I think that the majority of your audience will all all be bolder. To contradict you and remain quite unconvinced, not least not the least Thrasymachus. So he brings back in Thrasymachus or Thrasymachus <laughs> or whatever his name is. Um, yeah. I, I love um I love Socrates' response. He's like, "Now don't start a quarrel between me and Thrasymachus when we've just become such good friends." Yeah, <laughs> not that, that we are before. You know. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, it's, it is pretty funny um, but then, yeah, but then he,
2: get, he goes he goes on delayed on even thicker and he's like um, and if we don't agree he basically goes if we, if we don't agree I want to leave it the door open to discuss it into the next life yeah <laughs> it's yeah. like I even, even if I can't convince him now we'll, we'll be dead or reincarnated and I'll keep trying
1: <laughs> I, you just see Thrasymix's face just going oh man this guy just killed this me. guy's killing me <laughs> <laughs> I wish yeah. I never said anything even when I'm dead he's going to pursue me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No,
0: you're not wrong um, so once once they uh, finish mucking around with uh, Thressy Marcus um, <laughs> they, they talk about uh, the classic socialism argument that um, well the perfect philosophical example has never existed uh, so do we want to quote that or just discuss it <laughs>
1: I've got a quick quote if you want to. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because you're right. He's just sort of saying that they haven't seen a, a true philosopher before. So, no, my friend, and they have seldom if ever heard free and noble sentiments such as men utter when they are earnestly and by every means in their power seeking after truth for the sake of knowledge, while they look coldly on their subtleties of controversy of which the end is opinion and strife wherever they meet. Uh, with them in the courts of law and in society. So so basically, he's just sort of said that, um, you know, until there's a state led by a true philosopher um, or a a king is like divinely inspired by a true love of philosophy, um, that, you know, no one's going to be able to recognize it because they've never seen such a thing before. Yeah.
0: Do you think that's a dig at the current rulers or is he just earnestly saying this is a new model. That's not really been a thing before. No, I think he's constantly
1: digging at the current rules, man. <laughs> it's kind of column a column B. I mean, it's, I think he's frustrated with the, the esteem with which the philosophers are held with. Right. Because like, clearly he, he sort of sees that that's not valued as highly as what it should. And, um, you know, I guess he's getting accused of that early on by, um, what was it uh, Glaucon Adamantus sort of like pulls him up when he starts talking about the philosophy, um, uh, philosopher being a leader of the the state. And so saying, you know, careful, you know, you, pretty bold statements. You're kind of throwing out here um, <laughs> and look, I don't know. I mean, he, he's certainly got some bias, but um, you know, I, I don't know. At the same time, I think he is being somewhat earnest. He is biased, though, but I think he, he means <laughs> he means it well, though. If you know what I mean, yeah,
0: yeah I think so. He he thinks he's yeah. speaking from a place of truth there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so then they start talking about like the people and uh, you know whether they would accept such a leader sort of coming into it because it's obviously not something that's ever been done before, right? So I think they start talking about this is that whole thing about it. is it even possible? Uh. Um, yeah, I'm happy to read a quote about that. Go for it,
0: Yeah, so um, uh, I'll, st- I'll just start from here, and if I should have started earlier, you guys can add to it afterwards. <laughs> uh, and this was what we foresaw, and this was the reason why truth forces us to admit, not without fear and hesitation, that neither cities nor states nor individuals will ever attain perfection until the small class of philosophers whom we termed useless but not corrupt are providently compelled Whether they will or not To take charge of the state uh, Care of the state And until a like necessity Be laid on the state to obey them Or until kings Or if not kings The sons of kings or princes Are divinely inspired With a true love of true philosophy That either or both These alternatives are impossible I see no reason to affirm If they were so We might indeed be justly ridiculed As dreamers and visionaries Am I not right? So he's saying it's a whilst we haven't seen it, it's in theory, plausible that it can happen.
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think um, they, they basically sort of start talking about the way that they've discussed it and how reasonable it sounds. And it's just like, well, it, it actually sounds reasonable when we start talking it through. So is it a matter of just trying to open people's eyes to the, the concept of it? Because whilst it sounds unfamiliar, when you start talking about it, it actually makes some sense.
2: From their viewpoints yeah so what do you what do you think Timmy? though you, you referred to it as the socialism argument referring to the fact that uh sometimes when you bring up the negative aspects of socialism people just sort of say well it hasn't been done right yet so <laughs> what are you what, what are your thoughts on on this explanation
0: mm, well i it is a bit easy to say oh, it hasn't been done right yet um but I
2: don't Although I suppose in this circumstance, he's not saying it hasn't been done right yet. They're just saying they're saying the only reason people don't like the idea is because they haven't seen it yet. That's like, well, that's kind yeah. Of, you'd have I, to I, see it. But...
0: Yeah. I wouldn't say that um, we have not seen it at a level. Um, so it, I will say this: but the argument for socialism is it hasn't been done right yet. Uh, the, the argument for the Philosophy King is it was done right once. Um, but not to perfection, uh, which would be Marcus Aurelius. That, that, like, I think oh, you're if... talking now, not back then? Yeah, Not, not at the time they're saying this. But yeah, so I'd, say, point, I'd yeah. say that this idea has some merit because it was applied at some level somewhat successfully. I can't say the same for socialism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, look, I, I think, you know, the way that they're talking about it, um, I, I can understand their sort of argument. <clears throat> The thing is, like this, this whole thing is really a thought experiment, and it's not yeah. really about implementing. Well, sorry, I, I suppose it's about planting a seed, is, is really what it's about, um, and having people think differently, and that's the object of a thought experiment, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I liked, I, I kind of
2: reconciled it with myself. I, I like the idea of it being painted as an ideal that you would aim at, knowing that you're not going to hit it. Which I yeah. think they they kind of still in that realm, but at this point, Socrates is pretty confident that like it could work in reality. I, I'm not really on board with that. I don't think what he's describing could work on reality, but I don't think that in reality, I don't think that disqualifies it as a um, an ideal to aim at though. So I prefer leaving it in that category. I don't like this idea of them sort of saying. Um, yeah, yeah, but it could work. It could work. I, I just, I'm not convinced that it could. I,
1: the, the way they've described it there, I, I don't think it sounds practical or useful in a little bit. They talk a bit further about the fact that in the ideal state that they're talking about, um, you know, wrapping it up with a, uh, in the role of a guardian, who's got that balance, that's actually someone who's different to kind of what this sounds like, if you know what I mean? Oh, you think uh, so? Well, only because they're being a warrior, right. And they talk about the unusual, you know, balance in trying to find someone who's, you know, strong and strategic, but is also, you know, a philosopher. Um, and that's a pretty like rare find. And they say that, don't they? Yeah. I think what they're trying to sort of say is that, you know, we, you know, if we want to try and find these people, we need to set them up for a bit more success, I suppose, in the way that we structure our society to encourage people to, to have more sort of development and focus on philosophy because at the moment, no one really gives a damn about it and you're not going to find those people who could be those real diamonds in the rough because there's no opportunity for them to kind of realize that it's like, I guess that's the way I could kind of cop it. Um, and, uh, you know, that hypothetical of having the the warrior philosopher who's, you know, gained all this experience through both sort of sides of of things in their career and um, getting into their sort of wizened years and being able to, I don't know, look at those things probably would make a lot of sense. Um,
2: yeah, I think so. If you think about it just from our perspective these days, if like who you'd want to vote for, um, imagine if you did have someone who was an ex-soldier, some kind of war hero, who then went and got all his degrees, well, the equivalent of philosophy these days, I suppose would be a, a couple of degrees in whatever, and then maybe ran a successful business, like done all of these things, and then he becomes the leader of the country. Like, I, I, You can kind of see how that would be the kind of person you'd want to follow.
3: Hmm.
2: not Not just a career politician or not just a businessman, but somebody who's done it all. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I
1: think there's something something to be said for that well-rounded experience, right?
2: Yeah, and once again, that would be, like you say, a diamond in the rough, like that. almost, you know, it's a unicorn. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah, they also give examples of bad philosophy straight after that too. So not just people that weren't able to do it, but then people who get into it too soon, or what was the phrase they used? It was a funny phrase. Um, uh, Who rush in uninvited. <laughs> and they're pretenders. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I and and the reason they are is uh, because they. Um, what is it? I've underlined it. They uh, who make persons instead of things the theme of their conversation. Hmm. Mm.
2: Hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, like attac- attacking the person rather than talking about the the, the
1: principle. Yeah. I think it's getting back on to uh all the stuff we we're talking about in the in the previous chapters about, you know, public opinion and just basically um, you know, chanting whatever's gonna get a, a popular response and all this sort of thing. So, you know, not going after the truth, but just going after what's gonna get the right reaction in a um political arena or whatever it may well be.
0: Yeah, so is that is that why he then moves on to trying to I might be misreading this, but is this why he talks on to about um Trying to convince uh, the masses, so to speak, that the philosophers are seeking the truth, and yeah, which is if roughly they where they perceive that they're saying the truth, then they will accept philosophers and philosophy. Yeah,
2: that, that's that's pretty much where they go into the whole. Yeah, if they saw it and they saw that they were goodwilled and they saw the the, the fruits of their labor, so to speak, that people would come around and this state could actually exist.
1: Yeah, there's a a quote around that. Um, uh, For he, Adamantus, whose mind is fixed upon true being, has surely no time to look down upon the affairs of earth or to be filled with malice and envy, contending against men. His eye is ever directed towards things fixed and immutable, which he sees neither injuring nor injured by one another, but all in order moving according to reason. These he imitates, and to these he will, as far as he can conform himself. Can a man help imitating that which he holds reverential? Converse impossible. I actually read the completely wrong one. Uh- <laughs> oh, I was about to say I had that bit highlighted too. I still like it. <laughs> That's not.
2: <laughs>
0: it's not a waste. All right, rewind.
1: <laughs> All right, no, rewind. Back it up. Sorry, it's only, it's only a short one. Uh, who can be yet uh, enmity with one who loves them? Uh, who that is himself gentle and free from envy? Will be jealous of one in whom there is no jealousy nay let me answer for you that in a few this harsh temper may be found but not in the majority of mankind so i think that's what he was just sort of saying about people's opinions how how can you be upset with somebody who you can see is just earnestly trying to work for the benefit of everyone else um you know without going after their money or their whatever else it is like you know i'm trying to seek something better rather than um your stuff or whatever it may well be. Do you think it's a bit... Like,
0: he cops a lot of crap, and that's what he's doing. <laughs> so does he? is he saying here that he cops crap because people don't understand he's pursuing truth?
1: I, I think you're probably right, because I suspect he's a very unique individual um, compared to maybe a lot of the other philosophers at the time because and i know we've spoken about this before but i mean he is the one who sort of like walks away from the the trappings I and mean, because i guess like you put it this way right if he was just going to go around and and tour and do these sort of chats and stuff for people he could probably be a pretty wealthy man if he really was sort of motivated by by wealth um or oh, power yeah. or whatever it may well be right no doubt yeah um, hey um he uh, just, just on that, that.
2: Just on, I don't know, did you guys get a chance to uh, have a look at the apology? No. Which is, Uh, it's another, it doesn't matter if you didn't, but just on that very, very same subject Hmm. in his speech, because he gives a speech before, um, before they kill him like it's basically oh, I, a court case I like, yeah yeah sorry go yeah ahead. and yes yeah, and he gives he gives a speech in his own defense so it's called the apology it's one mm. of, it's one of the platonic dialogues or whatever but yeah there's a part where he, in that he explicitly basically says what you're just talking about he goes i could have gone into politics and he basically says but i didn't because if i had of you would have killed me a long time ago <laughs> 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 so he's like, so rather than rather than put my head on the chopping block, and he he roughly says what he says back in that chapter before, where he says, hmm. rough, rather than put my head on the, the chopping block and don't benefit anyone, he said I chose to speak to individuals and pass on knowledge and let them decide what to do with it.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the thing is too, like he puts himself out there as being a very plain speaking and. uh Simple kind of guy. I'm. I'm just a, a man in this universe trying to make my way. As I think the yeah. uh, infamous I, words of uh, Jango Fett may well have been. But it um,
0: reminded now. me of that song. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. <laughs> 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 I know who I am. <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> oh, I,
2: I, I, and after I read the apology, I, I went through the one that comes right before that. It's called um, euthyphro and what that is is he basically stops in the corridor before he goes and gives his speech. That um, you know, his he's head's on the chopping block, and he goes his speech all, all in the corridor on the way, and he has a chat to this bloke called Euthyphro. And they have, an, and there's like this whole other dialogue where he's kind of not arguing with the bloke, but doing that typical thing of, "Well, I don't know what it is. You tell me what it is." And then when they tell him what it is, he just picks it apart. Um, and that one's classic. It's really short. And by the end of it, this Euthypro, Euthyphro Fro broke bloke just like walks off. <laughs> you just go. He you just, just like he's like nah I mean, he just walks off. Well, like, you go, he just cracks his so walks off. It's so funny. <laughs> so you can just like it's 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 hilarious because he's like he's set up in this court case. You know they they're talking about exile or execution, and he still stops to piss this guy off in the foyer on the way into the courtroom. <laughs>
1: You get that that feeling he he would be that guy at the barbecue that you just like sitting and having a beer and the guy's starting to walk over towards you. You go, ah,
3: damn, man. "Man." He'd always be the guy getting
0: skull dragged out of the uh, pubs and nightclubs for starting trouble.
1: (laughs) But in fairness to him, I I, I think, um, you know, he has um, dedicated himself to this life and, yeah, right or wrong, I think he's tried to do it as right as he can in the pursuit of what he thinks is, is right and just and all that sort of thing.
2: Yeah. He practices what he preaches.
1: Yeah. It doesn't mean he's right, but, but he's certainly, you know, putting his, um, money where his mouth is, so to speak.
0: So what did you guys think of it once he goes into, all right, so we are pursuing the truth essentially. Um, so he gives this analogy around, um, they will begin by taking the state and the manners of men from which as from a tablet they will rub out the picture and leave a clean surface this is no easy task but whether easy or not herein will lie the difference between them and every other legislator they will have nothing to do either with individual state and will inscribe no laws until they have either found or themselves made a clean surface he's like yeah okay um, but then he's like when they're filling in the work as I conceive they will often turn their eyes upwards and downwards I mean that they'll first look at absolute justice and beauty and temperance and again at the human copy and will mingle and temper the various elements of life into the image of a man and thus they will conceive according to that other image which, when existing among men, Homer calls the form and likeness of God. What did you guys think of that? Do you you recall that part?
1: Well, yeah. Um, I mean, the start's pretty clear. He's just sort of saying that, you know, they should wipe whatever constitution is there and rather than trying to sort of bastardize it by chopping and changing bits just to toss the whole thing out and start fresh um which is definitely what Socrates is sort of like talking about with this state and saying you need to you know not keep adopting things and to to start over again um the, the second part I think um there's something that they talk about a little bit further on that might sort of give light to it where he's sort of talking about how um, I, I think you, you want to make sure that you're setting your ideals on the absolute best possible example and that you might fail to reach that. And instead he's sort of saying that maybe they, they start looking at that and then they start thinking, Oh, that's probably too hard for man. So they set the bar a bit lower. Is kind oh, of the right.
0: Lower. Okay. Okay.
1: They're trying to, you know, rather than sort of aiming for, what would please the gods and and really be the ultimate sort of way to try and approach that society, let's bend that to something that we think's more more tangible for man. Well, I
0: thought something they with- were I thought it was implying there was that the standard will be so high, like what you say, is that they'll make a lower benchmark. I, I think that's the first yep. part. But then I think what he's yep. saying is they'll then project that man level to be the God level. So then they'll, yeah, make, they'll recreate right. God in man's image or recreate the ultimate good in the lesser good's image. Does, does that, is that what you guys yeah. got out of that?
1: That's where I was, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think you are right.
0: That's a, I found that very interesting. Mm. But it was a bit... Yeah, I had to reread it a few times. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so they pretty much wrap up that topic there by now really sort of saying that okay, talking through all that, it it seems like it's something that might be possible and could actually be for the best, if it were to sort of turn out the way we've sort of talked about. Yeah. And they pretty much wrap it up. Um, from, from there, they start talking about, um, how and what studies and pursuits, um, will the saviors of this constitution be created? Um, and so they start talking about like some educational frameworks and stuff like that. So, uh, Mm. I, I did have a little quote. I think I've got the right one this time. If you want me to have a go. All right, let's go for <laughs> it. Uh, we're saying, as you will remember, that they will be lovers of their country, tried by the test of pleasures and pain and neither in hardships nor in dangers, nor at any other critical moment were to lose their patriotism. He was to be rejected who failed, but he who always comes forth pure like gold tried in the refiner's fire was to be made a ruler and to receive honours and rewards in life after death. Um, And so like, this is where they're just kind of like really summarising what it was that they were um, going through the processes to find a guardian. And now they're sort of like moving on to sort of saying, okay, that's the basis we've got there. And that guardian should also be a philosopher, which is what we are talking about a little bit before. Um, So this is where they start sort of talking about how difficult it's going to be to try and find this person who's, who's, wrapped up with the soul, um, the philosopher's soul sort of in there along with the, uh, the warrior. Yeah. Um, So, um, I guess like that from here, they're talking about like the, uh, parts of the soul again, um, like they did, but just in an abbreviated manner. And, um, because they were keen to move on, they just kind of all agreed on the, uh, on the outcomes of that. And they're sort of saying, well, did we really dive into that deep enough? Yeah. Um,
0: They do move on. Um, I'm not sure what to make of that. Have you got anything to add there, Ruben? Nah,
2: not really. I I think they kind of just come to consensus that what Socrates is banging on about is they kind of just essentially say they're satisfied. Yeah, righto, this bloke, is going to be the leader. He's going to be hard to find. He's going to be rare, but <clears> we want him <throat> to be a philosopher and want him to tick all these boxes. Yeah, correct.
0: Okay, so let's move on to the next thing. Mm. Uh,
2: ah, yeah, so, so there. next... Next section, are we, are we talking about the good being the ultimate object of knowledge or something? Is that is that what we're moving on to? I
1: think that's pretty yes. much next. Yeah, the
0: knowledge of the good. That reminds me of yeah. um, Morpheus um, when he's first showing Neo when he's waking up, he's like, welcome, uh, what was the era? To, to the desert of the real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's like, the knowledge of the
1: good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> well it's pretty funny when they he lays this one out because it wasn't what you kind of thought he was really going to get onto because uh he's talk about how this is going to be a, a knowledge higher than justice and higher than the other virtues and um you know immediately you got glaucon on the edge of his seat <clears throat> tell us socrates you know like, what is it like, what do you do mean, you mean you there's like, another one yeah, he's like, well, yeah what well, is the higher than what's justice more? and absolutely <laughs> and then uh it just kind of falls a little bit flat he's like oh well that's something you really already know it's the knowledge of good or goodness you're kind of already aware of this aren't you glaucon right you know <laughs> yeah it was kind it's of funny he's,
0: he's like we've already talked about it like several times
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally puts his mate down he's doing uh,
0: a shaman it's like it was there all along <laughs> he wasn't alive <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I see dumb um, people.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so you really
1: just talk about like um, that good is misunderstood and that people don't really know what good means.
2: Yeah, he, he posits to, to he basically says a lot of people agree that the good is the highest virtue. Um, but then he says there's two, but then when you ask him, you know what, okay, it's the highest thing, fair enough. What is the good? and he said there's two there's two classes essentially that people subscribe to one is that the good is pleasure and the other one is that the good is knowledge and then he very quickly in handling knocks those two down um, basically with, with pleasure he says well it can't the, the good can't the ultimate virtue can't be pleasure because there are pleasures which are bad you can or, mm. or alternatively you can take pleasure in something that's that's evil therefore that can't be the ultimate one so he throws that out and he says um and he says those that say that uh the the highest good is knowledge when you ask them what does what does uh what is the good mean? what is knowledge then they say well the knowledge is the good and the good is the knowledge which is essentially circular and they both so they, they kind of laugh at off and go well that, that's absurd but like, that's not yeah. a definition yeah. um so, it's, so they're in this position where they're like, where Socrates is saying, "Well, you know, this is the good is the highest thing. This is what people say it is." And then, um, and then Glaucon, I think it's Glaucon, says, "Okay, well, don't stop beating around the bush. Once again, Socrates, just tell us what it is." And he's like, "Well, I kind of don't really know what it is, um, <laughs> and um, and I can't really be sure. And I don't want you to hold me accountable if I'm wrong. Like he gets real sheepish again." Typically, and then and Glaucon's like, well, we won't hold it against you. Just tell us, you know, tell us. We're we're sick about hearing other people's opinions. We've got you here. We want to hear your opinion. Uh, That's kind of roughly brings to the point where uh, where where Socrates um, starts to explain uh, what the good is, and lo and behold, he goes to another analogy.
0: He loves the old (laughs) analogy, but he doesn't even say you explain the good. He's like, I'll explain the child of the good. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> he's like, I can't actually tell you what it is, but I can tell you something close to it. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah the, totally. the progeny of the good.
1: Yeah, I, I have to just before I've got to give you Glaucon's burn on Socrates, just because I know ribs. R- I can't believe you didn't nice. call it out because it's it's always funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where he's sort of saying that um, <clears throat> more or less like, uh, uh, this is Socrates. I, I said, I knew all along that a fastidious gentleman like you would not be contented with the thoughts of other people about these matters. Yeah, Truth, that's socrates. <laughs> but i must say that one who like you has passed a lifetime of study in philosophy should not be always repeating the opinions of others and never telling his own <laughs>
2: <laughs> which they've called him out on that about three times already
3: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: that's a cracker <laughs> but i thought it's kind of funny um or somewhat ironic that glaucon's so desperate that he's asking for an opinion from socrates after they just go on saying that There's no knowledge in an opinion so why do you want an opinion for it's not the truth (laughs) you know
3: yeah
2: yeah um, socrates does kind of say he sort of i don't know it feels a bit cheap but he's kind of like we we don't have scope within this argument for me to go into what the good is i could i could explain it to you but it'll take too long kind of thing Um, yeah yeah. so i don't don't know but
1: i I I think said something like I, i can only give you like a part truth so yeah. we can't give you the whole. So if we if we're going to get in the whole, you know, that's a that's a whole big deal, right? So uh, let, let's let's yeah, just uh, <laughs> let's keep it simple, stupid, is what he's saying. Let's keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you're right. He uh, offers to uh, define the the nature of good as a child as down payment is the way that he put it. We'll we'll get to the 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 goodness in its whole, but let's just use this as the as the down payment on my investment, and I'll pay you back. Mm. Yeah,
0: well, I can so read the, a little um, bit here. Can we start
1: talking about sight and light? Who wants to talk about this? Because uh, I must admit, I'm a bit all over the place on the On the
0: the sight and light analogy, the mm. simile of the sun. My book labels yeah. it. Yeah, simile of the sun. That sounds nice. I was when I thought of these spheres things, it made me think of that's, Destiny that's later One. Though. Yeah, but I made it, it made me think of Destiny One because um, they've got the Symphony of the Spheres was the album yeah. that came out on vinyl and I have that <laughs> oh, nice. and I was like ooh that's a, that's but, a cool but, image
2: but for anyone who's still listening um, <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, um, the simile of the sun is somewhat complex but it's got nothing on the the, the Symphony of the Spheres that uh, Tim was yeah, talking about yeah, which comes yeah. afterwards so <laughs>
0: I'm, I'm going to have a go at explaining the sun and you can laugh at my stupidity <laughs> so I think what Socrates is saying is the sun shines light on things so you can see it, but it does not make sight itself, but without it, sight has a problem because you can't see things without them
1: having light on them. Is that kind of right? Yeah. In the darkness, things are not clear. So you don't, you can't, you can't see everything and it's, uh, You know, there's no colour, I think he sort of says, and you can't see the definition of what something is clearly. Um, Yeah. So so
2: in this analogy, the sun is the good. That's what we're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. The greater good. (laughs) And then the objects that you see in the light of the sun are the virtues that they were talking about. So justice and, and temperance and all that gear. Following. So he's saying you need the good to see those virtues. Is that roughly what he's saying? Yes.
1: Yeah. I think you're right.
0: (laughs) But that they're not, Uh, but that the good isn't the virtue itself. Yes, that's
1: right. Uh,
2: But you can't uh, see those virtues without the light of the good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've got a little quote. Um, uh, and the soul is like the eye when resting upon that on which truth and being shine, the soul perceives and understands and is radiant with intelligence. But when turned towards the twilight of becoming and perishing, then she has opinion only and goes blinking about and is first of one opinion and then of another and seems to have no intelligence. Yeah. He starts off with, <laughs> this is as he's trying to get a bit more specific um, to, to make it clear, because Glaucon's not quite following either. Um, yeah. so this is as well, you start to get into the detail. I,
2: this could be totally wrong for anyone that's listening, but this is the way that I think it works. I think if you had to rationalize it, you've got these ideas of things like um, virtue or temperance or courage. Now, if those things themselves are not good, then they cease to be virtues. So unless you can perceive things like um, courage or or temperance or whatever, unless you can perceive them in the light of the as being good, then you can't actually understand them fully. That's the way I I kind of understand it. It's sort of like, uh, what would be an example? An example would be, um, say courage um, you could probably be courageous and do the wrong thing hmm. so let's say you could be really you could courageously rob a bank that would take courage but if you so but that would be like taking that virtue and using it for evil for, 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 so unless you can unless you have good this higher order virtue that shines light on courage to show what courage ought to be then you can't really understand what courage is. Um, That's a really good explanation. That, I like that. That might be way off, but the, the what got me under thinking that was because um, <laughs> I've heard other intellectually type people's smarter than us <laughs> like <hoops>. Um <laughs> So that there's a debate about around courage. Um, so yeah, you can use courage for bad or good, but it's still courage. So is it, is it courage? if you use it to do the wrong thing, or is it only courage if you use it to do the right thing? And apparently mm. there's a bit of a debate as to which you know, which side of the fence you fall on. For me, looking at this, this the way that Socrates approaches it would be to say that, well, no, it's not because unless you're using courage to do something that's good, unless you look at it within the light of the good, then you don't fully understand it. And if you don't fully understand it, then you, you're not really doing it kind of thing.
1: That's the way I see it anyway. Well, I guess he's, still got the, he's still got the lens of justice on there in, in in what he's trying to sort of steer towards as well. so I guess you know you've got to understand that what is good in order to understand justice, right Yeah, and I guess the other thing too is, if you think about it practically,
2: <clears throat> does anyone does anyone do anything willingly or accept anything willingly if it's not good? I mean, they might do something that's not good for them, but at the mm-hmm. time they're doing it because they think it's good. I'm not sure about that one. I, I don't know whether that's, that's probably conflating the terms, but I mean, nobody intent do. does anyone intentionally do something that's bad for them? Not for sure. How so?
0: Well. It- but it means like, by what's what's <laughs> bad for them.
2: I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting I'm getting us into the weeds.
0: No, but this I mean, yeah. This this is a whole another show. But the um, <laughs> the how can I talk about this? This is this is addressed by that um, bishop uh, Barron guy uh, when he debated, well, not debated, but was interviewed by Jordan Peterson, and they had a debate about the nature of good and evil, and um, Peterson thought that. Uh, good and evil were forces at war against each other and the bishop thought that evil was just good corrupted and that those doing evil are still seeking a good it's just a corrupted understanding of what is good so for example uh, smoking um, you, you, the good you see in it when you smoke it is it makes me feel relaxed so I'm doing that thing for my good But uh, uh, someone observing me doing it, who understands the harm it does to me, sees that I'm not doing something good because they can see that I'm smoking and that that's bad for my health. So I'm not not, uh, deciding I'm gonna have a cigar uh, because it's bad for my health. I'm deciding I'm having a cigar because I enjoy a cigar and it makes me feel good. So it's still pursuit of good, but it's not maybe the best good. Because the best good would be to look after your body and not do that to yourself. But you well, replace that good with a corrupt good. Is that correct? That's kind roughly of the sense? way
2: Yeah, that's roughly the way I see it. I, I don't think anyone does anything if they don't think it's good in some capacity. And they could be wrong about what's good. But oh this is probably pretty dark. But even somebody <laughs> who even somebody who ends their own life, which I think we'd all agree is a bad thing, <laughs> when they do it they're doing it because they perceive that as a greater good than continuing to live.
0: Yeah. That there's a good outcome of it that it ends suffering or it does something. Yeah. Yeah. I perceive, I understand what you're saying.
2: So I don't know whether that even ties into what Socrates is saying, but uh, that's the the only way I could make it make any sense in my head. I'm just Mm. like, yeah, there has to be a higher thing that's good. And none of these other virtues fully make sense unless they are good or you see them in the light of what is good.
0: Hmm. I think it does make sense because I think he's saying you need to, and, and and he's even saying I don't really have my head around what the ultimate good is, um, which I think is a sensible thing to say. But I think he's saying if you could conceive what is the ultimate good and understand what is the ultimate good, then everything else is applied correctly. Well, this is
2: cheating because I didn't come up with this idea at all. But I've I've heard his concept of the good being... It's essentially a description of God without the personal aspect.
3: Mm. Mm.
2: So it's God without a person. It's like <clears throat> a perfect thing, but without a personality, if that makes sense. So what, the uh, the essence of godliness? Yeah, it, it, it's... Yeah, the essence of God, but without without the personal nature of it. Yeah. Which is interesting. I don't know whether that's a reasonable way to, to describe it, but it would be interesting if it was because we're talking about Socrates who, by all accounts, doesn't appear to have read the Bible, obviously before Jesus, all that sort of gear. Um, and that idea of a personal God is something that comes up later on in Christianity or a singular personal God. I mean, they've got their concept of all
1: these multiple gods, but he's sort of rejected that earlier on. He has. Yeah. I, it, there's actually, yeah, several times through here, where he, he, still sort of seems to refer to a, to, to a single God, which does make it interesting. Um, yeah, look, I, I think you're pretty much hitting the nail on the head there Rubs. Um, I must admit, like I was sort of leaning the, the same way and he does sort of mention some other stuff there. Um, just, I, I think where they're sort of like trying to aspire to it's always trying to sort of hit those heights of like, you know, aiming for the God level rather than the, rather than the human level. And yeah. I think this just kind of speaks to that sort of philosophy that he's sort of working towards as well.
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I feel comfortable that we've, do we need to summarize the sun analogy at, at all? Or are we happy with that?
2: No, I think that's good. I think that's good. I think, but we, I I think would, we move on want we confuse
0: ourselves. I do want to
2: th- <laughs> throw in, that <laughs> Glaucon geeks out when he mentions the good, he's like, what do you mean something bigger and better? Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like, Don't no, dude, tell, don't stop. Tell us more.
3: <laughs> yeah. It's like he's hitting yeah, the that, next it, episode it, it button that, on Netflix.
1: <laughs> it gives, um, was it a quick, uh, little quote he had in there. Um, in like manner, the good may be said to be not only the author of knowledge to all things known, but of their being and essence. And yet the good is not essence, but far exceeds essence in dignity and power. And that's where uh, Glaucon's all agog and wants to hear uh, more about its uh, likeness to the sun. So um, <laughs> he's, gets he, he's fanboying hard. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of where uh, Socrates starts to talk about a sort of another sort of angle about... Uh, imagining the, the two ruling powers, um, one ruling by the intellectual, uh, so the intelligible or understood, uh, world and the other by the, uh, the visible world. Yeah, Yeah. And this is where where it gets crazy. It gets
2: dense. Yeah. Like this. And this section is like two pages or something. And it's just like, what? (laughs) Um, So, so Tim, Timmy, um, Timmy, uh, Timmy linked a couple of YouTube videos that were supposed to uh, break it down and make it a bit simpler, um, which helped in some capacity. Hmm. Um, I I don't even know the best way to to, to make a run at it, but what, what, what he talks from here on is basically in my, what it sounds to me like is different levels of knowledge and the type of reasoning that you use to attain that knowledge—that's kind of yeah what I think it is. That's about as best as I can, can explain it.
0: Can I try and explain how I see it in my mind's eye, and then you can tell me how? Yeah, I'm give wrong.
2: us, give us your middle-aged dumbass. Okay, um, so, well, because we're all middle-aged dumbasses here. So,
0: so you know, you guys know I love a spreadsheet. And this, Indeed. when I read it, oh here I, we go!
2: No one said anything about expression.
0: <laughs> when I was reading it, I could see in my mind like four columns. I'm right, like, ooh. So I think, and I'm probably way off, but I think what it is is there's like column A and column B could be two columns representing physical things, and then C and D are non-physical things and so the physical things I think is not too complicated to explain and we're going to use the analogy of drifting from Forza 4 because we've all been playing that and doing (laughs) drifting so in the physical columns you have a real uh, we'll call it a, a dodge charger drifting on a road sideways and then you have a Xbox game of an image of that car drifting so one is the physical object so we'll just talk about the car one is a physical object of the car and the other one is a picture of the physical object of a car is that making sense so far yep yeah
2: keep, going. yeah keep going
0: then there is the concept of a Dodge car in the mind Drifting. or drifting diff- drifting a dodge <laughs> car but then there's like a greater concept of just car or drifting mm. the essence oh, I would the say essence of drifting. I would
2: yeah. drifting yeah I would I would alter yeah I, I would alter that to say the essence of drifting is the uh, is showing extreme skill and control the essence of skillfulness or control
0: the the essence of controlled out of controlness, <laughs>
2: <laughs> of imposing order on the chaos.
0: Yeah. So the but does that make sense? Like, am I is that kind of yeah, right? Yeah. I think yeah, I right think so. So it's physical and non physical. The object, that the car. Uh, so, what, what would this fit into? I'm holding up a matchbox type model car of a triumph stag um i would say this is a column b so it's not the real thing it's a representation of the real thing
2: so he would call that a shadow an image or an illusion
3: yeah
0: well actually if you're watching this on youtube it's kind of a (laughs) b2 because you're seeing an image of the model. Look, car, Socrates, Socrates didn't have car. YouTube, okay? This is true. This is a yellow triumph stag. Stag. And um, so, yeah, I'd say that's a column B because there's a real triumph stag that this yep. represents. But then someone had the idea of a triumph stag, and then behind that was the idea of unreliability. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that, no, no, no. that was the reality Tim oh, oh true, true. Was-
2: <laughs> yeah look I think it kind of comes back to the what we, what he was saying a couple of chapters back where you've got you know these different levels of reality and the particular which is the physical thing the particular or the individual mm-hmm. object is 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 one ex- is just an example that points towards the ultimate reality. Which is the form itself, or the uh, the thing itself. So, um, the highest, or the highest order knowledge being um, the form, and then under that, you've got uh, the lower levels of, of knowledge, the knowledge of the object itself, and then an even lower level of knowledge, which is just like a reflection or a representation of the object. Um, look, I'm sure it's a hell of a lot deeper than that, but that, that's about as good as I could get. Because he does kind of go into oh what is it not inferences he goes into supposing things and he's kind of saying that mathematics supposes premises and then operates on them without justifying those premises and he's like that's kind of not quite the highest level of knowledge because above that is the form itself um, just to try to simplify that as best as I can, he's, he, he talks about geometry. So he's like, you have geometry, you have a triangle. Um, and there are certain premises that they, that they just presume, which are that, uh, 180 degrees makes up all the angles. Um, and he's like, so below the lowest version of that would be an actual triangle in real life. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but then the higher level knowledge of that triangle, they presuppose these rules. And then he says there's an even higher, um, level of knowledge which would be the perfect triangle because when when you're talking about or describing a triangle you're not actually just des- describing that triangle in real life what you're describing with those rules is the actual concept of a triangle look that's yeah i'm sorry
0: that's that... <laughs> but if, so you're saying what you don't do is go well is the line that makes the triangle actually a line and is the measurement of inches actually correct like he's saying you don't dismantle those things is that is that kind of what he's pointing out as well
2: well i guess he's saying you can't dismantle those things because they're not real i mean they're real but they're not he says they're real but they're not the physical object themselves Mm. because the physical object themselves is the particular and you know he keeps banging on about if you're obsessed with the particulars it's not real knowledge he's kind of saying well the real knowledge is that perfect concept of a triangle that exists in the realm of forms.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and how can you prove that or uh, it, you can't, it's, you've just got to accept that that's a concept I yeah. think and, and, and go with it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Look, that's something that, um, that, and that's, and that's what I found a little bit funny about it is he kind of talks about mathematical reasoning, which I think in our current <clears throat> society, we would essentially say that mathematical reasoning is about as certain as you can be about anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he kind of, he doesn't, he kind of downgrades that to the second from the top and says, well, you've got to presuppose things to make mathematical reasoning. So there must be a higher mm. level knowledge, but you've got to presuppose that that higher level of knowledge even exists because you can't access it. I mean, he thinks you can, yeah. you know, through long study, you can perceive it, but like, how do you prove Or is it? he like saying say that,
1: that the person who's invented that mathematics had that higher order knowledge in order to i don't know well
2: exactly well no no actually you've nailed it because that's exactly what he says in one of his other dialogues Um, he talks about learning as recollection he doesn't think you're creating something new he thinks that that knowledge is there and when you learn you're actually recalling something that exists Hmm. um so it's it's different from the way we think about it these days and um Mm. spoiler alert a couple of thousand years later you've got a couple of philosophers like Locke, and i think maybe Hobbes or that mob that sort of that era that basically take the opposite stance to socrates and say no 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 these things don't exist um per se in some realm of forms they're things that we just perceive in the particulars and we um we, we extract or we, we infer their existence from the particulars, but there's, they don't, if there's particulars in exist and that, that form wouldn't exist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I sort of recall there was some example there, they were talking about, you know, if it was like, well, let's stick with the example of a car. Um, like you couldn't have imagined a car if you didn't have a car to see first, to kind of imagine it from, if you know what I mean, it's kind of a bit of yeah. a chicken and the egg kind of situation. So, how can you have had that higher order thinking if it didn't exist yet?
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Do you think that's why engines are uh, measured through horsepower? Because we started off with chariots pulled by horses.
3: <laughs>
1: uh, I can't sure. assume so. It's plausible. <laughs> <laughs> that that's true because uh, you might have a big cart and you need uh, four horses to pull it. So that one's got four horsepower, mate. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um,
0: well, uh, Glaucon kind of summarizes it at the end yeah uh,
2: yeah I, I he's got a summary there but it didn't help me well yeah, I'll read it, it. I'll funny. read it
0: and then we'll, <laughs> we'll see what we make of it uh, so he says I understand you he replied not perfectly yeah, right. for you seem to me to be describing a task which is really tremendous but at any rate I understand you to say that knowledge and being which the science of dialectic contemplates are clearer than the notions of the arts as they are termed, which proceed from hypothesis only. These are also contemplated by the understanding and not by the senses. Yet because they start from hypothesis and do not ascend to a principle, those who contemplate them appear to you not to exercise the higher reason upon them. Although when a first principle is added to them, they are cognizable by the higher reason. And the habit which is concerned with geometry and the cognate sciences, I suppose that you would term understanding and not reason, as being intermediates between opinion and reason. You have quite conceived my meaning, I said, and now, corresponding to these four divisions, let there be four faculties in the soul. Reason answering to the highest, understanding to the second, faith or conviction to the third, and perception of shadows to the last and let there be a scale of them and let us suppose that the several uh, faculties have clearness in the same degree that their objects have truth. I understand, he replied and give my assent and accept your arrangement.
2: (laughs) He doesn't get it.
0: That's complicated.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Look, um, from what I can tell though, this is setting up the next book um, and in the next book is apparently... Uh, something called Plato's Cave another analogy believe it or not um, but that's that's supposed to be like one of the most famous passages in all of philosophy so um, I'm hoping that maybe when we hook into that next week it'll start to make a bit more sense
0: yeah I'll tell you it makes me nervous because you know um, having a look at other podcasts that are around for this book I've stumbled across quite a few that only deal with the cave, and there's like months worth of <laughs> conversations about it. And I just saw that and went, What? So I'm pretty yes. sure that whatever we do, it'll be pretty rudimentary. <laughs> yeah. well, we, we're middle aged, we've got to just like, yeah. keep it Yeah, we haven't, we haven't got time to muck around. <laughs> you leave that for the
2: young, they think they've got their whole lives ahead of them. We're halfway, we're just like, No, we ain't got time for this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly,
0: exactly. Well, that was good. Um, I'm looking at my book, right? I know we're only just finished chapter six. I think it's given me false hope because when I look at the thickness of my book... <laughs> we're like two-thirds of the way through.
2: No, no, no. You have got you have notes at the end. Don't be like that. You've, you'd There'd be like all sorts of notes and stuff right at the end, right?
0: Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is we're only 60% through the books, but the thickness of the book looks like we're 70-75% through so
2: you can't judge a book by its thickness bro <laughs> <laughs> that
0: mine, is very mine, true
2: mine looks a little bit more but this is this is the rest of mine with the appendix minus the appendix
0: yeah okay yeah, This
2: it's not, not working I really.
0: see I see so it's, it's roughly the same it's like less than a third
3: yeah we
0: will see you are right about not judging books by its thickness. I read all of the Twilight books. And that would be like... You did what? Three inches high. I did.
1: I'm surprised, Tim.
0: <laughs> well, I saw this meme the other day, and it's exactly right. If you remove Bella and Shovelface from the story... And I pitch this story, you ready? So a, a sheriff at a small town discovers that there are vampires and wolves in his town and he goes out with his shotgun to try and take out the bad vampires with the werewolves that's a mad story you just remove <laughs> bella and edward from it and you've got a mad story it's like suddenly you've got this redneck sheriff vampire hunter it's freaking sweet <laughs> I, I didn't
2: know you did that to yourself it explains so much Wow, so if you hadn't told me that before before you got me into this podcast, I probably wouldn't have showed up. Like, I don't know if I can respect you anymore. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Harsh, judge.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. Well, I wasn't Team Edwards, so I'll give you that much.
1: <laughs> I don't know which side of the teams they're on, mate. That's how far removed I am. Oh, uh, dude.
0: Look, as far as if you have to get brownie points with the misses, Orchard and Chick-fil-A, it, it isn't the worst ones out there. Just saying, there are worse.
2: If you tell me you've read The Handmaid's Tale as well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna hang up. Hang I have out. not. I have not. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. No, that's it's not hard thing. to find good friends these days.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of good friends, right. let's let's journey on down to the pub, philosophers. Absolutely. Well, it might. So we went and saw this play, uh, which was called "Come from Away," and I thought it was going to be a bashing from some SJWs um, about Why did many you think that's him?
2: What was what was it supposed to be about? What was the write-up? There Why was a par- there that?
0: was a paragraph I read in a review, which uh, I'll read out for you shortly, which just made me go, oh, "Really, this is what we're gonna do with our time." Uh, so where is it here we go so it says the story doesn't shy away from harsher truths details such as the gay couple terrified of being out in a small town or the African passengers who think that the Salvation Army are soldiers or passengers brawling in a phone queue generate prickles of realism and we see in the composite character Ali an Arabic chef the beginnings of the Islamophobia that has since become one of the defining stains of the 21st century so I read this and I thought oh this is going to be a bit <laughs> preachy isn't it <laughs> but uh, so it's set in a place in Canada um, as 9-11 happens yeah as, as 9-11 happens and the population of the town overnight doubles or triples because they have like 30 something massive planes filled with people diverted to their airport because it used to be the biggest airport in the world back when planes couldn't make it from Europe to America in one trip, they would stop at this island, at this massive airport, and then fill up and keep going. And uh, but once planes got the range, it just became almost completely unused. Um, So when the emergency happened, they just diverted everybody there. So then the town responded by, you know, setting up all of the schools as in halls as uh, accommodation. They closed. Uh, the hockey ring and turned it into a massive indoor fridge to store all the food and everything in for everybody Uh, and everybody who was there um, like the play portrayed that they just fell in love with the town and the people's generosity and they couldn't believe how nice everybody was Um, and it was it was actually really different to what I thought it would be based on that review because uh, the the gay couple for example uh, were welcomed yeah once once they revealed that they were gay everyone was like oh yeah cool my uncle's gay and this person's gay and someone else goes yeah there must be something in the water and another guy in the in the pub's like that's why i only drink beer you know (laughs) um and they just they they were like yeah whatever, who cares and um uh, but i was particularly surprised by the salvation army bit because um uh they, they they had the uh, African family on a bus traveling at night and they don't know where they are. They've landed and been stuck in a plane for 28 hours um, and then everyone gets taken off you know with with guards and everything because they're concerned about terror threats and um, they're, they're getting told to get off the bus and they won't get off and the guy from the Salvos spots the Bible realizes that the chapters and verses and, and book order would be the same as his Bible uh, asks to take the Bible from the lady turns to a Bible verse in the New Testament which says uh, be anxious about nothing and then points to it because they can't speak their language and the people read the Bible verse and then they're mm-hmm. like oh sweet as, and they hop off the bus and trust these people because of that uh, four word Bible verse oh, that's and, clever. Um, yeah. and I was just like wow, and they, they use the Bible to actually talk to these people so they would look up Verses in the English Bible to try and explain roughly what they're trying to do, and then point to that one in their one, so then they could go, Oh, "Okay, well, I guess it's time to eat," or something like that. So it was really cool. Sacrificed at Herod's temple. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, it was it was not at all what I thought it would be. It was surprisingly sensible, and it was very generous to the uh, people who had faith in that town. And it was a really nice story actually. So I wouldn't say like, go buy tickets and go see it, but if you are going to see it, you'll probably like it.
1: it yeah, look, I, I mentioned to you, I had another mate of mine who'd gone and seen it with his wife and um, yeah, said it was quite good. So I thought you'd be all right. <laughs>
0: yeah. I thought you were giving me false hope, but, uh, it nah, was all good. <laughs> and then we had Korean barbecue afterwards.
1: So it was a good day. <laughs> ah, <there you> go. <laughs> What'd you guys I get up to? <laughs> oh, we've had um, Halloween fest going on this weekend. So uh, we had all uh, uh, the, the cousins and uh, my mother-in-law and all that sort of stuff over and the kids all, all dressed up and tore around. So we actually did that yesterday though, which was uh, the Saturday rather than Halloween itself, just cause it lined up better with everyone's timetables. So uh, nice. that was good. I spent the day doing a bit of gardening beforehand and pretty chilled weekend. Did you dress up as anybody? Like,
0: did you well, decide to be, a uh, Thrasy Marcus or something? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, I, I, didn't this time around. I should have, I should have, but, um, I was a bit slack and didn't do it, but, uh, well, it, it seems to get bigger every, uh, every year. So, um, I was saying to, uh, Rube's before, um, we sort of got online I think we had probably, um, maybe a hundred kids come up to the, the front door, um, this, this afternoon, early evening and all that sort of thing. So. Yeah, yeah. It's we going had to be a bit of a. Thing. We had fifty or so individually
0: wrapped treats, and we ran out by like seven pm. There's heaps around yeah. here too. I was really surprised. Usually, every other year it's been, know, yeah, thirty, and you'd have leftovers. But um, there's yeah. just heaps here I today.
1: Mean, yeah, I mean, we hadn't really sort of had much of this before because our uh, our old place was in a battle axe, and so people would just never come down. And, um, you know, since we've moved, um, yeah, I guess cause you're all on the street now. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's funny. Cause like, I think like we more or less just about sort of run out of lollies and we're putting the kids to bed and say, I don't want anyone sort of knocking on the door now. So I, like literally like took down some of the stuff that was out the front that sort of like was obviously, you know, letting people know that it was a house for Halloween or whatever. Yeah, And, um, even after I took all that down and turned the lights out out the front, people were still knocking on the door. Oh well. I've literally got about four things left in this bowl. You know, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's good fun. Kids were all fine. Uh, all fine, and uh, I have to say, uh, really pleasantly surprised. Lots of like really well-mannered kids, um, all you know, very uh, gracious and uh, used their manners and stuff, which was uh, nice to see too. Oh,
0: good yeah. stuff. I wonder if lockdowns contributed to that a bit. Like they're more grateful that they can be out and about and doing these types of things. Yeah, that's yeah a maybe. Good point. I'm not Sure, could be. Mm. How about you, Ruben? What'd you get up to? Uh, not not a
2: great deal. What uh, church this morning, and uh, then home again. I've I've had that the new car for about two weeks now, so um, I can tell you that I'm not disappointed
0: in the uh, in the purchase. Really, really enjoying it. Awesome. That's good. I, I've seen it in the flesh, and it's a beast. It's very nice, and I sat in it. It's very comfortable. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I definitely see the appeal. It's. I, just, I reckon I it's have some... probably as comfortable as your old statesman.
2: Yeah, probably. Yeah, mm. I, I did have someone say to me that when they saw the new car, they said that yeah, that car suits you. That's that's kind of that that's you. I don't know whether <laughs> it's because it's so big and fat. <laughs> um, yeah. um I took it as a compliment anyway, because yeah, I like it. I, I've never had a brand new car This is the first time I bought a brand new car in my entire life, so I'm enjoying mm. it. Yeah, So I exactly. gave it, a, I gave it a wash. I gave it a wash and a chamois today, and took a great deal of pride in doing it. So,
0: yeah, yeah very nice, very nice. Excellent. Well, uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. So, um, for those of you listening, thanks for joining us. And uh, remember, the republic wasn't built in a day, and other middle-aged men guys next time. See you See ya.